This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, Planet of the Apes, episodes three and four. Come on, Orko. What you're doing is human labor. Uh, I'm not someone who does human labor. Are you someone who enjoys suffocating? I'll make an exception in this case. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast about the agricultural economy of chimp tenant farmers in relation to the greater ape society. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I think that might be my favorite one yet. <laughs> I, I would like for your openings to get longer and longer to the point where there's almost no podcast. It's just you just r- riffing, riffing on what we're going to watch. Riffing on some bad idea I have. Yeah. But this week we're uh, actually going to be joined by something of a Planet of the Apes expert. Uh, Mr. Cave, how's it going, Cave? It's going well. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Are, are you the official president of the Planet of the Apes uh, fan club? The unofficial, unauthorized uh, president of the unofficial, unauthorized fan club. But Toronto st- branch. <laughs> but you still give out buttons on the street. <laughs> yeah, not by people who are willing participants. I just kind of force them to have a button. You say, go ape. Yeah. Did you see that advertisement? Yeah. I've been looking at stuff and uh, b- before this aired. Um, what, what was the state? I think it was NBC. Uh, was CBS, CBS, excuse 20th me. 20th Century Fox was um, airing all the movies in a row, and they'd done really well. And so, as an advertisement, they just had a big picture of one of the chimps, and it was "Go Ape." And yeah, that and was it, their ad. It looked like a kind of wasn't it like sort of an Uncle Sam? Yeah, uh, we want you to go yeah, ape. Exactly, but it was just "Go Ape." Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Kabe, since you are going to be our expert here, yeah, I've only seen the Charles Heston movie and then some of the newer ones and Jordan's seen none of them. Uh, are you serious? None. So we don't know. I've seen a- bits. We don't know much about the canon. Oh my God. We don't know much about the canon of these movies or where this TV show falls inside of that canon. Right. But you do, I think. Yes. And I'm bursting at the seams to tell you. Uh, well, okay. So it goes back to obviously the original 68. Uh, and there's, so they so I refer to it as the APJ timeline, which is named after Arthur P. Uh, Jacobs, I think. Uh, and he was the executive producer on the films. Hold on. Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So that's the original Charlton Heston five films that came out. And Charlton Heston is only in the first two of the five. And then, of course, there's the Tim Burton. And then there's the three reboots. Yeah. But in between the Tim Burton one and the original five films, they made the TV series, which I had never seen before until this opportunity came. I guess I was waiting for the stars to line <laughs> for such an opportunity to watch the TV series. But I'd read about it extensively. Well... In the TV series, um, Dr. Zayas, or I guess he's now Counsel Ape Zayas. He's I think he kept, he kept his doctorate, though. He kept his doctorate, yeah. He's still, or hadn't gotten it yet. But he, in the first episode, he mentions, A, that he dealt with an astronaut before, and B, that he'd killed that astronaut. Yeah. Uh, did he kill Charlton Heston's character? No, so I think it's complete uh, bullshit. From what I had read, it was the plan. They weren't expecting to get canceled 14 episodes into the yeah. series. And uh, I think they like interviews with the actors and writers were like, well, we we're going to delve into that later on. Um, all they know is that that's sort, supposed to be a reference to um, the original script. So the original first draft of the first Planet of the Apes, the one you've seen with Charlton Heston. Yep. It was um, it was widely different from what was produced. 
So Rod St- Rod Serling from you know Twilight Zone fame was hired to write the first two pilots for the show, which he did. Which he well, but they were they didn't they didn't they didn't produce them. them. Yeah. So, but they kept the reference, and he was referencing his own scripts that hadn't oh. really. So he was actually writing it around the time they were still making the films. Arthur P. Jones, formerly from the APJ <laughs> canon fame that I mentioned earlier, of course, uh, had always wanted to make the TV series. So apparently, after every movie, was like, okay, now this summer we're making the TV series. And what would happen was the films just kept getting more and more successful to the point where like, okay, well, we're going to ride this momentum and just make the sequel because it was so successful. And then we'll make the TV series. And then Beneath the Planet of the Apes comes out, which is the second film. And APJ was like, okay, well, we've got to make the third one. So they made Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which is fantastic film really it's the, it's my favorite one of it's my second the charlton Heston is the, the it's the best one right the best one. well the second it's the one, first one. Second one's so campy it takes place in the 70s cornelius and zero who are the two ape allies of charlton Heston, travel back to the 1970s in modern day and it's almost a reverse plot it's line. a reverse plot of the apes. it's talking apes in modern day which was modern 1970s america and the humans are like the apes right right they take the satire and just flip it on its head which just makes it what the point of the film is <laughs> right Right. Uh, and then so and then there's a fourth one, which was sort of like the fourth and fifth of the original story are essentially what um, the modern remakes were with the James Frank, well, not the James Frank, but War for the Planet of the Apes and Rise of the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So all this is to say um, it, there constantly was an attempt in the 70s to make a TV series and right. they just delayed it until they completely ran out of steam with the movies. And as you can say, as you can tell, I'm really excited to talk about and, this. And that's the time you want to make a TV series when you've exhausted all the <laughs> yeah. ideas and you're like, you know what? Well, I guess we'll just do the TV yeah. series. Now that's got legs. Well, I was talking to you just before we started. And I, cause one thing I want to know, I'm like, how does this fit into the Planet of the Apes canon? Because obviously with the five movies, I'm like, where does this fit? You mentioned that I think it's Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the movie before this, the last of the five. Yes. You mentioned how that movie ends. Yes. Oh, the complete destruction and annihilation of the world. Nuclear bombs go off and the world ends. And a narrator in a very Twilight Zone-esque way kind of says, and without any witnesses in the universe, a tiny blue planet fades into oblivion. And like the film goes to credits and everyone on Earth dies. Oh, All I like that. It's beautiful. But where does this make the TV show fall? <laughs> Well, so, I mean, ultimately, it's the answer is like it's it's nebulous because uh, the, the film, the TV series, rather, is just a sort of side timeline that doesn't really exist. And they sort of grasped some ideas from the first film. But I think the creators just want you to say, don't think about it too much. Here's just a different series of events. One major difference is the humans in the films don't speak I mean, the, the, the wild humans right. who are the slaves in this world are, are, are essentially what like modern apes are. Like they're just dumb and unable well, to Well, I, I read about it that um, the choice to have all the humans be able to speak in this was, was just because they thought, well, this doesn't have any legs. Like if, if these humans can't talk, what are the stories going to be? Yeah. So that's, that was the reason they, they chose to make that decision. That and, the, and to get guest stars too. They, they, were, right. they were hoping the show would go on for years, like a Star Trek sort of thing. And like, well, we can get... We can get uh, I don't know, man. What about all the hottest mime comedians <laughs> of the time? They need work. Yeah, the mime industry. The mime, the mimes. Yeah, if you had no speaking humans, cameos from all those oh, famous yeah. mimes. Oh yeah, all the yeah, all the the French film industry would go booming. People be oh, how good would that be? Jordan hates this idea. <laughs> well, mimes. Well, I'm yeah. I mean, side note, I'm watching Leftovers now, and the Guilty Remnants. They don't speak in their major part of the show. But anyways, haven't seen it. Okay, <laughs> Jordan. 
No, I haven't seen it either. Leftovers? No, no, no. no, no we no. are too busy watching. I'm, yeah, we're, we're we're too busy trying to catch up on the on the TV show from the 1970s. All right, well we'll get into this in a second, but I I do have one quick question for you before we start, Kabe. Yeah, you answer see, away. I know everything. Since you are the expert, <laughs> I'm actually just curious, and this is not an accusation by any means, but. What is it that you like about the Apes franchise so much that this is this is the life you've chosen for yourself? <laughs> well, we should mention he is wearing a full ape costume right now. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's, yeah. it's clearly homemade. So, yeah. Sweating all over the table. Yeah, I didn't plan this out. There's no zipper in the back either. You just sort of have to like slide into it from the feet. <laughs> Hold on. You go upwards? <laughs> Up one leg and into it and then sort of push your other leg. Wow, the other I'd side. like to see that. Yeah, no, you don't want to see it. It's, <laughs> so it looks like the birthing process, but in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> but why why do why why is this a franchise you're so you're so uh, with? I, I think okay, well the first film like really captured my the, the you know the twist Jordan uh, the twist ending of the it, first it, film it was Earth the whole time yeah and that's different from the book the original book by Pierre uh, Buel Buel B O U L sure anyways we some, never pronounce some, anyone's some name French right. mime it, it actually ends <laughs> uh, yeah, some French mime uh, it actually ends closer to the Tim Burton version so that like the novel sort of ends with like apes took over the past or something they go back in time and hmm. and yeah they do and Rod Sterling was like well let's make a twist and it's Earth and that's brilliant for its time. And so that blew my mind. And then after that, it's like if you've noticed in the first two episodes that you've already recorded your episode for, I think like Planet of the Apes has always had a very anti-war and anti-fighting sentiment, mm-hmm. which I've always liked. I even think for the time, I mean, if the, if the show was produced in the 70s, it was kind of, I guess, appeasing to, uh, it was trying to get the hippie audience maybe to a certain degree. It was just like, it was like really advocating peace. And I think they're using the allegory of the future with these apes. And I mean, they're talking about race relations and war and intergovernmental policies and political science <laughs> and other smart so i've always liked that i just think it's such an endearing uh, hopeful sentiment is trying to reach out to the audience very cool i mean it definitely i think that definitely is the sense of this tv show that's for sure and you, and you like monkeys and there's monkeys what's well who doesn't like monkeys yeah well, there's no monkey are there actual monkeys though no no because no, they even make a point it's just chimpanzees gorillas and is there a third one Chimps, gorillas. Um, That's all we've well, seen. Well, no. There's what Doctor Zaya says, which is, is an orangutan. I, I think he's supposed oh, to be an orangutan, right? And uh, they all get those horrible haircuts. <laughs> yeah, they get awful, awful yeah, haircuts. Like, all right, orangutan, come here. Yeah, come get the bowl and cut that straight across <laughs> those bangs. Yeah, but he doesn't look like an orangutan. He's just sort of a blonde um, chimpanzee, sort of. He yeah, doesn't he, look that different. He looks more like a chimp to me. But I think you're right. I think he was maybe meant to be an orangutan. Yeah, they're supposed to be a different species. Like what am I? Species? A zoologist? Monster. I don't know. All right. No one liked that either. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of something. I couldn't think of anything. All right. Uh, let's get into the first episode then. Here's the IMDb summary for episode three, The Trap. When they are buried alive underground in an ancient San Francisco subway station during an earthquake, Burke and General Urko are forced to work together. Above ground, Galen and Verdun try to figure out a way to help Burke with the assistance of several guerrilla soldiers. That summary was courtesy of Ape Freak. Cave, <laughs> Cave, was that, that you? Me. I'm actually upset. There's another one out there. Ape Freak, what? Was there a number attached? No to it? number. He got number one. It's the first one. Yeah. Um, you, you're gonna get Ape Freak 69 though. I, I tried. I was like 169. There's a lot of us. There, we are yeah. many. <laughs> so be careful. They're coming for us. Essentially, the episode starts off um, sort of with Urko on on patrol on patrol for the fugitives, which I think is kind of kind of be a theme of these episodes. Is like, where do we start? Urko's looking for some fugitives. And and let me say, it starts in a broken city, 
and I love the look of the city and I can go into it because I researched about the city because I was obsessed with where they got this set because it's clearly a set like it's clearly a back lot a huge set so I don't know how deep you want to get into that but well, we can definitely get into it like yeah it, it sort of teases what will be a main setting for it maybe we'll come back to it when we get to okay. the setting but it's a it's sort of a real huge backlog set of like a looks like earthquake ravaged city basically essentially though what's happening is urko has a couple soldiers and uh one soldier who gets a name this time did you catch the soldier's name? Oh, oh, the only one I ever remember is Jason, because that's my favorite ape there, name. I didn't even catch that. That in was the, in the, one of the first episodes. episodes they they all have like fun names, like really kind of exotic names. Yeah, yeah. And then one's Jason. <laughs> I just love it. Jason well, the ape. This one, his, his sort of like right hand man in this episode was named Mimo. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Was yeah. he the one that had the coconut reflector? Well, Mimo had a vest on with the an M drawn in the middle of the vest. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you could tell who Mimo was. Like a uh, military vest, like something. No, for... more like a biker vest. Oh, okay. It's like a neat little vest. Like it was a fashion statement. And it looked, and it didn't look like the M was like stitched in there. Like someone had taken a can of paint and just like used a house brush and like painted an M on the front of it. It was uh, I classic love it so Mimo. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's Mimo for you. Essentially, we get the sense that Urko's been hot in the trail of uh, our astronaut uh, escapees and Galen, of course. I think last time I referred to them by their first names, but I'm realizing the further we get into this episode, this show, they seem to like to refer to them on the screen by their last name. So I'm mm-hmm. gonna start not. I'm gonna stop calling them Pete and Alan and start calling them Brick and Verdun. Yeah, I kind of like Pete and Alan. Though. I I think it's better too. But everyone on the show has completely given up on calling them by their first right. names. Also, um, I don't know if you know this, Akavi, but they take their shirts off a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, I've I think I think we're actually they might do it in every single episode. Have they taken off their shirts in the second episode? It might, maybe it was my dreams. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I believe you. If I'm you trying to think. It. I mean, he did get in that cage match. Yeah, I it think he make, takes his shirt off. It would off. make sense to take your shirt off if you're, if you're in a cage match. But I don't remember it specifically. Definitely I, the dad did. Yeah, the dad did. He was so beefy. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Burke and Verdun and Galen are just two steps ahead of them. They've kind of... There's this whole opening is a little weird. Like, they come up with a plan to buy themselves some time where they... Uh, attack some gorilla who's manning this strange signal outpost and what is the um classic move that pete uh uses to uh knock the guy out uh, he calls him over and says i want to show uh, there's something i need to show you right well, G- galen distracts him by doing that oh but, yeah yeah what did what uh, they do? but i believe pete does a double footed kick to his chest it's a drop kick every every fight he starts with a drop kick yeah it's I mean, his I, opening I, move i remember when he did that to the gla- the, the father son gladiator he did that i he didn't did notice again. he did it this he time did it again too. to the ape that's I think his move that's his opening it was really good too i, I caught it because it's like it's a running double jump he just jumps both legs forward well, into the span as, as everyone knows you can't defend against that well no and, the, and as everyone knows the best way to attack anyone is hit them with like somewhere between your knees and shins while yeah. you're flying through the air yeah i mean they don't come back from that no <laughs> neither do you it's an <laughs> act of dominance <laughs> Essentially, they take the. I guess the apes. Maybe this is from the movies, cafe. The apes have giant reflective circles they use to like send each other flat, like Morse code, but via like flashes. Yeah, I had never seen that before in any other movie. It's. I thought it was good though. It's. I mean, they're they're, they're really pushing the idea that. um, I don't know. I don't know if agrarian society is the right word, but that their technology is maybe not up to snuff. Yeah. It. I wanted to know if there were a bunch of those like across the country, and they just like sent like. What is it called? Like uh, when you tap Morse code? No, um, reflector code. Reflector code. No, I'm thinking of like uh, back in the old west when you send your little tappy message to each oh, other. Oh, like the wire. The you wire. Send it over, you the send wire. It over the wire. It was like right. their version of the yeah. wire. It was their version of the wire set in yeah. uh, Baltimore. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, there's something funny like to know canonically about this TV series is when they edited them. They edited episodes into feature length, 
feature length that's right tv yeah. movies and so they added footage they shot footage years later oh really so, so they took these tv shows and then turned them into additional films yeah yeah so they, they aired them on tv they aired them on tv like five years later two episodes paired together to make one feature and they added new scenes with um galen in the future an aged galen Oh, telling like, stories. We're telling stories to the audience. Oh, oh, what a terrible idea! And it was awful, but it was the it was Roddy McDowell again, so it was good they got him again. He I loved really, playing these monkeys. I really want to see these bookends. Yeah, it's great. You can see there's a great link for them. Um, also, from what I've read, I think he's the only one who enjoyed it because everything I read was everyone hated being a monkey or an ape. Yeah, the makeup was impossible to like, and it was like apparently 100 degrees every day. Remember we mentioned how they were always seemed like they're sweating. Apparently, oh, yeah. it is unbelievably hot. Well, the human characters are sweating uncontrollably. Yeah. I can't imagine what was going on in those suits. One monkey. One one actor in the monkey suit had run into a, a beehive in the middle of shooting and had to uh, jump off his horse right. and like get the bees out of his mask. <laughs> I can't picture a worse, more like su- like suffering process. But anyways, Future Galen is shown around modern technology. So like somewhere in that timeline, they've developed like computers and electricity. Oh, and, crazy! And like telephones, and he's sitting at a desk. Um, and he's so, sitting at a desk. He's sitting at like yeah, a modern desk. <laughs> he turns around and he's like, oh, I didn't see you come in. Yeah. He actually does say that the first time. He's like, oh, you scared me. Oh, you're here to hear another tale of my adventures with Verdun. Did you notice how ergonomic my desk is? It's very modern. <laughs> yeah. But no, so, that's interesting. So, so there was like a, an idea that this is in the far past on the eighth world. Yeah, they're at the they're, they're, uh, precipice of developing all this technology. Interesting. But until then, they're using the Morse code, electri- the sunlight. The sunlight. Essentially, what they do is knock, they knock this guy out, and then they use the flashing signal thing to basically send a fake message saying, hey, I saw them. They're going south, and they're like, this will buy us some extra time. It'll send Urko on the wrong path. And they, they head into this town called uh, Numea. Yeah. Where, uh, Numai, Numea, something like Numai, that. Numai, yeah. Numea, where they... Um, <laughs> Which is, I guess, famous for harboring fugitives. That's what I it's know. known for. I like that. They were like, <laughs> we just know that. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's a weird thing to be known for. <laughs> There's like the Miller family takes them in. And like, it's a very short scene where they're like, they're like, hey, we'll we'll look after you. And then the daughter comes to them and she's like, hey, I was just rooting around in the old broken down city. Check out these computer parts I found. Yeah. Well, she made a necklace out of wires, which and is she, a terrible necklace, by the way. It was an awful necklace. I also thought the father was, from off the get-go, just very suspicious. Well, because he was balding, but he had <laughs> one long one, strand of hair that was strand. hanging down his face. Yeah, and just aggressively uh, comforting in a weird way. Just like, yeah. you, you come into my house, and I will help you. And, and he was like, he's like, you guys want a massage, right? And like, <laughs> yeah. uh, what's your feelings on wrestling? <laughs> yeah, I, I I was uh, very suspicious of Murray off the back. It was also called the trap. The episode, so right. I was like, they're gonna, this it, guy's gonna trap. It did them. set up some sort of trap. But yeah, they have this exchange, and Verdun, he's got that magnetic disc. That's how he wants to get home. So he's like, hey, you guys, we gotta head to that city. We gotta find some computer parts. We gotta read this magnetic disc, and I don't know, go back in time somehow. And of course, um, Pete Burke. Always a naysayer. It's just like, yeah, he is. Let's let's not do that. No, you didn't want. Uh, Galen ends up being the tiebreaker. He's like, oh, let's go check it out, you guys. It could be fun. And I honestly thought they'd spend more time in this city, but they're, like they're in that house for less than five minutes. I'm like, yeah, let's let's get out of here. Let's go to that city we just heard about. And as soon as they leave, the ape or the gorillas report back to Urko. It's like, hey, we got a signal. They went south, and Urko's like, ah. I don't buy it. Let's go check out where this came from. Like, he immediately suspicious of the signal. Gets there. The guy's not there. He's like, well, all right. Obviously, they're trying to trick us. Where would they go? I heard there's a city here that loves the harbor. Like, he is such a good scout. Like, he's so yeah. good at his job. Yeah. yeah. Like, they don't buy themselves any extra time. He's on them immediately. And then he shows up in town and, like, confronts the Millers. And he's like, did you see them? They're like, no, never. And it's like, well, where'd they go? He's like, well, we don't know. We never, like, 
we, we didn't see them. Like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, they went south. Yeah, it's straight out of Inglorious Bastards. He becomes like uh, Hans Landa in that moment. And it's just like, I know you're harboring fugitives. You know? That's true. That's it's really intimidating. That's actually. where that came from. Right? Yeah. Well, he also, I, I wrote the one down. He grabs the guy and goes, lies, lies, nothing but lies. Yeah, it was a good moment. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. There, it, and even when they leave, like they finally like get them to confess to, yes, the fugitives were here, but they went in the, like they, they lie and say they went south too. And uh, as they walk out, Urko's like, all right, we're going to the city. And the henchman's like, what, why? He's just like, oh, because uh, humans, all they do is lie. I always find a human is lying. That yeah. was a direct quote. He's, he's, so, he's so funny. He's like, you can't trust them. They're just going to lie to you constantly. Why ask them anything if you always find they're lying? Just do the opposite of whatever they say. Uh, I mean, And he was right. It was a lot of setup yeah, to get right. them to that city. But there were some great moments. Like Urko was amazing in it. Just like throwing his weight around. Just like calling humans liars. Yeah. A lot of good character development for him. Yeah, he's actually got quite a bit like, in this episode and sort of the next. Like, you, you kind of see, like, a lot of the villains have good character development. Is Mimo, I mean, we'll get there, but is Mimo the one who makes the promise? Mimo makes the promise at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah okay. Like, that's a good turn. Yeah, again, that's classic Mimo. Yeah, classic Mimo in his vest. So he's wearing that vest. Um, but yeah, this longish setup kind of finally gets us to this wrecked city, which is San Francisco from the past. Mm-hmm. What we kind of have heard while they're in the town is three days ago, there's like a huge earthquake. And since then, there's just been these small aftershocks. We've been seeing the camera shake occasionally. And we're like, whoa, everyone's shaking your place. There's an earthquake happening. But they're sort of there poking around, trying to hope they can find some cuter parts. Um, but since Urko's so on top of it, he's like already at the city. He's like, all right, let's ambush these guys. Let's get them. And at first, I thought this was going to be the trap. I'm like, all right, they're going to ambush them and get them. This is the trap. But uh, Galen smells them coming. Yeah. I, I, yeah I was- and then it becomes a lot of like, peekaboo in and out of buildings for like five five or ten minutes didn't it seem like that went on a little while they're like oh we're over here no no no, they're here and you know pete's gonna get caught because this by the way is three for three three episodes where pete gets uh he gets caught he gets caught that's his thing he's he's a pessimist and he gets caught by apes yeah i guess that's true yeah Yeah. well they both get caught in the first two yeah but he's i think he's going for the record right yeah he's three for two he's three for three well for done is two two for three three. Yeah. yeah Well, he's he's pulling out ahead in our race to ape capture. Yeah, in ape capture, yeah. One thing I was wondering about Galen's ability to hear the horses. Is he hearing them or sensing them or smelling them? It looked to me like he was sniffing the air and he was like, scatter. He like yelled scatter and they all like ran into the buildings. Right. And he's done this several times now, which I like because I kind of feel like he's, they kind of, I, I wouldn't mind them exploring a little bit more about how they differ. Like he, Galen sort of has this super sensitive hearing or ability to sense them coming. Uh, I like that element, you know? I could, I honestly could use a little more Galen backstory because right now he's been pretty, like, he doesn't have a lot going on. Well, I think, I think they've probably set up as much as they're going to in the first episode. And I don't think that, I don't think you're going to have much more after this. Maybe there'll be an episode where, like, I don't know, he tries to fall in love or something, but Roddy, you're not going to learn much. But Roddy McDowell is, like, doing his, do, giving his all. I oh, want he is. More. <laughs> He'll do anything to be in another monkey suit. He just loves it so much. Um, but yeah. As we said, Pete once more gets captured. Urko gets a lasso around him yeah. from horseback and starts reeling him in when another aftershock happens. And the street opens up. Pete falls in. Urko's pulled in after him. And then a huge concrete wall falls on top of the hole. They would be trapped down there if it weren't for the lucky happenstance that Galen happened to see it all happen. Yeah. And I love the moment. I, I was so excited. It was like, oh, it's going to be like a bottle episode where they're going to have to learn to work together. Which is what the episode is. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic uh, enemy mind or uh, with a Darmok from TNG. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to work with your enemy if you're going to survive. <laughs> I will say, 
you know, a bit of a rush for episode three to be this plot line. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. fine. Yeah, yeah. I thought the same thing. Like, wow, you guys are really spinning through these ideas. <laughs> Let me ask you something about, so they fall into what we find is it's a subway. Or yeah, it's a, it's, it used to be an old subway. It's, yeah, it's part of the BART system, the uh, Bay right. Area rapid transit. But here's what was weird about it. And maybe this is just unfair to the set design. But they're they're in what looks like to be either like a waiting area for the tracks. And I notice they have like the tunnel where the, the uh, train's coming, the train's out, coming out. But there's no tracks in front of it. Like it looks like it just comes into the lobby. You know what I mean? It didn't look like they, it was an actual subway station. And, and I, maybe that's just not fair for what they were able to put together. But I was like, th- there was no like level down where the tracks were. The weird thing for me is, and we'll probably get to this, because there was a lot of weird things about the subway station. Everything from like the, the history didn't sound like it was on our regular timeline. Um, did you notice at one point, I think they mentioned that the subway runs on nuclear power? They did mention that. Yes. The, I, Which, well, so, But this show takes place in, what year is it, Luke? Is it 1980? Well, like what? Oh, no, the they, year they left. They was... left in 1985. They're in 30, 80 something, and human. They, they, we at least know, according to that book they found in the first episode, that humanity was around till at oh, least right. 2500. Right. So there's at least 500 years history after they go forward in time. But that subway didn't look like it was from. No, it looked like it was from supposed to be from when the same time period they left. I mean, that makes it weird because why would it still be there? But he seems to know. Pete knows a lot yeah, about Pete knows it and everything. About because it. I, I think it's supposed to be like from the 70s, that was 80s. the that was the biggest problem I think I had with it too. Is I'm like Pete knows everything about all the tech and all the advertisements on the subway. Meal in a pill, disposable clothes, instant organ replacement. Yeah, it was an yeah. ad for that in the that subway. That was yeah, come on, that's so eighties. An electronic neurological monitor, which the 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 the, the tagline on the poster was instant <laughs> instant mental stability. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Like, yeah, yeah the great. art the art team had a fun with that. Yeah, I mean, and all the advertisements look like for their like illustrations from nineteen fifty, which I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. things just got real retro in the future. This is what I have. But I did. I have that same question. I'm like, you're from the past, and. We know humanity went on for 500 years. Like, how do you recognize everything? So maybe they're saying this subway station got closed down in 1985. I think that's what we're supposed to believe. Before, like, they're like, we don't need the subway anymore. Just close it as is. And then, like, 1,000, 2,000 years later, he stumbles into it. He's like, hey, I remember all of this stuff. Yeah. But But Pete wouldn't have memories of... Well, that's what I'm saying is in 1985, when he left Earth... That's right. what the subway was like. They, they were like, the day he left, they were yeah. like, close this subway station. Now we don't need it. Just lock it Pete's up. He's gone. Guys, leave, close yeah. it down. <laughs> leave everything as it is and let's not touch it forever. Right. And then so when he falls into it, because that's what I was just like. I'm like, there's 500 years of human history. How do you know everything that's in the sub- subway yeah. station? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, it, it's it's good they closed it up because the batteries still work on the uh, the solar powered uh, Oh, they got solar lights. They're still working. Pretty yeah, good. That's, that's some great. pretty good technology. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, yeah, th- this is kind of what happens is Pete's down in the subway with Urko. And they're running out of air. They find out pretty quickly. So Pete's kind of trying to convince Ergo, hey, we need to work together. He's like, starts showing him around. He's like, you can trust me. Like, you can work with me. This is like, this place is like my place. Like, this is from my world. I start showing him like, here's a nuclear head train. Here's some advertisements. Here's a, here's a satellite phone. And he's going on and on. And it's, I really like this scenes with Urko because, because like Pete will be pointing to me. He's just like, this is from my world. And like Urkel will get mad. He's like, he's like, it's my like we're here too. What do you mean your yeah, world? Your world. Well, yeah, that was probably the most interesting thing of the episode was Urko's inability to wrap his mind around the idea that the humans at one point were the dominant species. Well, that's, and yeah. and he can't give it up. And so, you know, kind of spoiling what happened. The only way he can even agree to work with him is to have Pete eventually go, 
I lied. This is all technology from the past, but it's ape technology. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a classic well, human. And so that's the only way they'll get along. That's kind of what's happening is because he's, he's pushing this so hard and it's so outside of Urko's like worldview. Like the more Pete pushes, the more insane, incensed and insane Urko mm-hmm. gets. Like there's some, I wrote down some more lines because I just love them so much. Like he's showing all these advertisements like for food and a pill or clothes that melt off your body when you wash them. Did you was catch that, that one? one? No, was, I didn't get that one. disposable clothes. Disposable clothes, yeah. You, oh. they, you wear them and then wash them off in the shower. Oh, I thought you throw them in the sink, but that makes oh, sense. Oh, maybe it's not. Just, I don't know. Just, he said they wash down the what, drain. What a time saver, huh? You just... Yeah. Hold on. You wear, uh, So at the end of the day, you take a shower with your work clothes, not you wash off your pajamas before you put on your clothes. Oh, I don't know. Or both? Either way, I guess. You could do both. I mean, yeah. It's disposable <laughs> And they're disposable. Who cares, I, right? Cares. I, I bring it up again because as he's like... like he's re- Pete's getting really pushy about this because he's trying to convince him humans you can trust me we can work together because i know this stuff and urko's just like no i don't want to believe this you're making me insane stop saying these things there's like when he's showing the advertisements he's like urko don't you remember this product and urko's like how would i remember that i wasn't yeah yeah like it was a hilarious line like because i was like pete what are you doing how would he remember these products he's an ape from the future yeah from like three thousand years in the future yeah he doesn't remember but yeah like yeah it drives urko insane he starts like choking pete to death and that's when pete's just like i lied apes made all of this yeah. i lied and yeah. it's totally reasonable on urko uh, urko urko right yeah, yeah on his part because it's like it's the equivalent of like a dog from 1000 bc coming to us and saying remember like edible hats you know like how much would you be uh, you'd want some instant <laughs> mental stability at that point <laughs> hold on the the dog from the past is they had edible hats yeah and like he's trying to convince you that you're oh, crazy man. because dogs once took over because he's talking he's talking he's a talking b he wants you to talk about <laughs> yeah. disposable yeah. edible yeah. hats like, you can and relate I, start to cho- I start choking him i'm like there's no way i can <laughs> yeah. believe you lies lies nothing but lies so you have to have empathy for uh, you have to have sympathy for, for urko. poor urko also yeah. that's a great show by the way yeah the talking dog that Spin always eating hats. <laughs> the hat eating talk dog from the past. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> now, now that they've kind of like agreed to work together, we kind of pop back up topside where uh, Galen and Verdun are uh, trying to figure out a way to save Pete. Um, and ultimately, they kind of there's some back and forth, but they essentially manage to talk to the gorillas who are searching for Urko and kind of uh, particularly with Mimo sort of convince them to get into a tenuous truce to save both of them. Yeah. He basically make Urko promise, hey, you help us, or Mimo, they help Mimo promise, like, we'll help you get them out of there, but you'll let us go. Like, it's kind of a tenuous thing, but Mimo kind of like, it's like a deal's a deal, so I'll, I'll do this. And it's kind of interesting. They do a bit of like, to prove that Urko's down there, they do a bit of like Morse code by tapping on a piece yeah, of metal. Yeah, I liked it. Like, because apes don't know Morse code, so their minds are blown yeah. when, uh, when Pete... Taps Burke taps back up and he's like, Urko's wife's name is Elta. And yeah, everyone's yeah. like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a magic trick. What I liked about uh, Mimo was that it's uh, it, it's he wasn't instantly just gonna buy everything, right? In that moment, yeah. he's like, Okay, like show me more. Is there something believable? They're not rushing the character motivations, the writing is pretty good. They they give you enough build up and enough, like, they allow the character to like be won over, yeah. Um, and even uh. I was kind of interested in this is is they're going to do it because uh, Verdun's like, I'll build a fulcrum that will like tie the horses to and it'll help us like leverage up the piece of uh, cement. But are the apes that technologically challenged? Well, that's something that uh, they don't know how that they, they really they kind of hint at in this episode and really Fourth push one, in yeah. the next one, Police which system. is and I don't know how I feel about it, but they they're sort of really like, again, it, there's this agrarian society, but they're really pushing the idea that 
they're kind of blown away by technology basic and that physics yeah and that the the apes are actually kind of stupid which i don't think we've given that indication before but they're sort of pushing that now hey, like am the, i wrong in the fourth episode he's uh one of them is burke is convincing them like the the benefit of having stronger fences right that's what i mean it's like it seems yeah it does it the the first two episodes were like their technology was not up to something like it was just like they were in like a middle ages kind of thing but now they're kind of positing it's like ah, they can't even figure out like basic ideas but it was actually wasn't that what they sort of uh posited was that they didn't want technology because humans the technology that humans had oh. brought destruction remember it wasn't there wasn't a negative connotation they were sort of they were alluding that they were going for some sort of utopian society where uh, they were living off the land and they didn't need technology. And now they're sort of implying a couple episodes in that they're kind of stupid. And I thought that I, was a weird twist. Maybe, no. I wonder if maybe that is kind of the idea is is the council's trying to surpass, suppress sort of human concepts or ideas. And maybe they're, maybe they're doing it too broadly. So like the people like these just guerrilla soldiers and these farmers that we'll see next episode, they're, they're just like not given the opportunity for even basic knowledge that maybe, maybe maybe does exist, but they're like, because they're afraid of human technology so much is being suppressed. Maybe I'm looking too much into it. Well, yeah, it's, inter- it's, it's strange because it's hard. Like if they're going to agree that the humans weren't superior and they didn't exist in the land, then they can't, they either believe that the humans were, to, you know, they use technology to the point where they wipe themselves out, but then they have to also agree to the fact that they were, technologically superior yeah. yeah and it's one or the other and i think maybe there's just the, the faction of those who are just like the, the the farmers will or maybe the writers are just trying to have it both ways yeah maybe you can eat it too yeah it's hard it's hard to say like i would need to see more of that high council because it definitely seemed like obviously dr zayas was more than aware of humans abilities counselor zayas counselor zayas but <laughs> was actively trying to suppress it with the council so uh, i mean maybe we'll find out more in future episodes i don't want to see more of the council Oh no, that's not your favorite. No, I love uh, I all that, all that talking about <laughs> judging things. You just and... want to see these these eight bureaucrats at work. Yeah, I, oh, stamping, stamping forms. That was uh, <laughs> I see some stamping forms, man. Oh man. Rod Serling's pilot was largely like a trial of the first episode. It was a lot like the the first mm-hmm. movie where they're trying to like decide what to do with the civilians. Oh, that's very funny because that that one scene did seem rushed, but did seem like a huge turning yeah. point in it. Um, anyway. So they're going to build this fulcrum to lift this thing and get Burke and Urko out, lift this cement thing off of the whole thing. I don't even, I can't, I have words anymore. Um, meanwhile, underground, uh, Burke and Urko are, are, are setting about to build a little ladder, uh, despite the fact that Urko says physical labor is human work. So yeah. uh, he's going to do it anyway, just yeah. for, the, for this one time. He just wanted to get that dig in right before he starts helping. <laughs> just for, for like, helping you do know this is beneath me, right? This is human work. <laughs> yeah. It's at this point we kind of get the big twist of the episode or like the big turn in that, well, Urko's moving across some like girders to like help build this ladder. He stumbles across one last ad that uh, Burke was hoping he wouldn't notice. An ad for the San Francisco Zoo featuring a gorilla in a cage. Mm. I like though in this uh, in this universe in 1980 or whenever this uh, subway was left, they have pills that are a meal supplement. Mm. Apparently clothes you can wash off in the shower, but, but zoos are still the thing. <laughs> Yeah, we still, we still got to capture animals and put them in cages yeah. for our amusement. Yeah. What will we do with our time? We've got all this extra time now that we don't need to eat or put on clothes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we need to put more animals in cages. But you would have more time for the zoo. You're right. Imagine how more often you go to the zoo if you didn't have to like put on that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could put the animals in costumes and not worry about having to take them off. Just wash just it right off. Yeah, wash just, like, them right Close off. them down. <laughs> A dra- a dra- laugh <laughs> and laugh at the animal clothing. <laughs> a giraffe in a tuxedo and then just spray yeah, it off. Yeah. Tuxedo? No tuxedo. Tuxedo? No <laughs> yeah, tuxedo. Sounds great. I'm there. 
1985 sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But yeah, this ad that uh, Urkel comes across, this is basically like the tipping point for him. Like he sees this and the trouble he was having of his worldview with what Pete was trying to tell him uh, or Brooke was trying to tell him completely collapses here because it's true. And he has to accept, like, he, he's seeing it. He, like, pulls the poster off the wall and, like, shoves it into his jacket. And then it's a powerful scene. Finds He sees a shiv on the floor, and he picks mm-hmm. it up, and he, like, puts in his thing, and he goes up to Pete. And at that moment, the fulcrum's working, and, like, they're lifting the lid off of the uh, off the hole. And they're like, we're going to throw a rope down and pull you up. And Urko's just like, I can't let you leave. You, you've seen this. Yeah. You know humans are better than us. And, and like, he's just like, I've got to kill you now. Mm. And he, he pulls out his shiv, and he goes to stab him, but... What what does old Burke do? Well, he uh, very conveniently uh, has the uh, what do you call it the solar, the solar light. light in his hand, and when he goes to stab it, he stabs the light in classic electric uh, electrocution. I thought he was going to die, but he's just he's just knocked. Urko's just knocked out. I was well, like, I mean, whoa, you he, killed Urko. He probably has some very serious damage inside of him. Yes, I mean, he did just electrocute himself. Yeah. yeah. And then he also, like, when they get back up on land, he faints again. I thought he was going to die that time. The second time he had his final words about kill them. Yeah, he, he had a bad time of it. Yeah. Like, kind of once he's electrocuted, uh, Pete, like, ties him to the rope and they pull him out. And uh, then uh, Pete Burke climbs out of the hole, too. And they have this moment where Mimo's like, all right, well, uh, I guess a deal's a deal. You should go. And like you said, Urko kind of comes to you for a second. And he's like, kill them. You must kill them. The soldiers are all like, well, he said to kill them, so we got to do it. And Mimo kind of has to, like, play some games and, like, you take old Urko. You girls take Urko to the hospital because he's badly injured. (laughs) And I promise as soon as you leave, I will execute the three prisoners. And we kind of get a scene where they go off and he's like, we made a deal, so I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to fire three shots in the air and they'll think you're dead. Which is fine. Like, a a perfectly fine end to the episode where he keeps his promise. But I think where they kind of went the extra mile is after Burke Verdun and Galen run off and the gorillas have taken Urko away. Mimo looks down and he finds a folded up piece of paper, which is the poster from the, from the uh, subway station. And he actually opens it up and we get this like surprisingly dramatic scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was really, it, it was, it was powerful for a second time. And also it kind of maybe helps make clear why in the next, the very next episode, like they're searching for them again, because I thought, does, does Mimo just go back and tell Urko that he killed them? Wouldn't that be the end of their chase? I, I, unfortunately, point? I think the reason they're back to searching for the next episode is that's just what the show's going to be now. Yeah, of course. It, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It just resets. Well, that's there. And with modern like television, you'd always have to have a scene explaining why they're searching. But back then, it's just like uh, episodic. It's a fugitive thing. Yeah. But yeah, I did like, I, you should see Mimo open it up and he he's looking at it. And you get a, like, for a man in a mask, you get an awful lot of emotion, emotiveness of him, like, understanding what he's looking at and then what that means about everything he's ever been taught and then him just becoming furious and like tearing it up into a million little pieces having just let them go it was like i was blown away by how much this actor could get out of like a a silent shot one shot in an ape suit where he's supposed to like have his entire world fall apart it was good yeah he regrets his decision at that point too because he's like what if i unleash like that might just be yeah have i just be, by my decision in this moment been the beginning of the end of our civilization i thought it was interesting too because he's basically seen them build the fulcrum like he's seen like oh this guy is smarter than he should be yeah and so by finding this it was kind of like i don't know it was it was a very interesting way i think we've said this a few times but like it's not a perfectly written show but like man oh man they land some like mm-hmm. really good beats yeah. when they when they do it and they work yeah i know absolutely and can i mention one thing um the uh the disc that they mentioned at the beginning that's been the sort of um uh, i don't even call it but the little thing they've been looking for in every episode the, uh, the macguffin yeah MacGuffin. little macguffin of you were yeah 
apparently after this episode, they lost the prop. Yeah. <laughs> they lost the prop and it will never be mentioned again in the series. And I, I, I don't know if you read it, but I was oh, doing I some research. It. And, it, and they basically were like, at one point, they're like, we can't find it. And then they went, don't worry about it. We're not. We're just going in a slightly different direction. So you're never going to worry about it again. So that's it. That's it for the disc. You don't, you don't even see the disc in this episode. What a waste. No, I think it, it may have already been lost. Yeah, it was lost by, by episode three when they were in production. They lost it. They actually did lose it when he had that fight with them. And they dropped them. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was right. Yeah. We, we lost it for real. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Um, before we move on, just because uh, it was teased earlier, but uh, neither of you actually finished up with the story. Uh, so this giant destroyed city set, which mm-hmm. is like got to be like three square blocks of like back slot of a earthquake like town. Where is like I try, I didn't look very hard, but yeah. what is this place? So it's uh, so they were trying to save money at this point and they found out that the back lot of MGM was tearing down their cityscape, which was I've been used in a bunch of different movies. So it's it's New York was their was what the movie was what the cityscape was supposed to be and that's actually just the state that it was in it was literally getting torn down and all that rubble is the actual rubble so they just were like all right don't need to set deck boom let's just shoot there and that's that's what happened that's amazing i mean it's so funny because you mentioned how the subway stations maybe not as well put together as it could be it is it is probably more in sharp relief because that city looks so good well that's the yeah. thing the city looks great and then you go down and you go oh yeah they like oh they spent 10 bucks on the subway set which is not I a thought lot. the subway still looked pretty good. I mean, did you for for its time? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I liked. I liked the one. I liked the one little uh, rebar beam sticking out when he was like, "Look at that. That's interesting." I was like, "Oh, that's gonna be a plot point yeah. for later." Why is that beam sticking out like that? I mean, I didn't think it looked awful, but it definitely like the production value. You, the differential was like well, well they knew too because they were doing long shots of the city and stuff and you're like oh they're not faking that but for me in contrast to scenes when they're out in the woods and they're sort of like in the California de- like those to me seem for some reason like the cheapest oh, uh, moments yeah. because it just literally seems like they put costumes on guys and put them in the middle of like the California sun, like somewhere in the woods yeah, I don't know why it just looks and then the subway in contrast to that it's just barren landscape looks cool I don't disagree. I mean, I was really pleased when they kind of went to an urban setting this episode. I'm like, oh, I'm glad we're not going to be just yeah. running around, yeah. running around in the forest again. But don't uh, worry. We're going back to the same stupid little town in the next uh, Yeah, the next don't episode. worry. Well, let's get into it now. So, uh, I've, I've taken enough time here in uh, the trap. So let's move on to the summary for episode four, The Good Seeds. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. I, I thought it was a it's, really weird title, actually. Well, like, it's just it they pick they picked the like the stupidest part of the episode. Who um, cares about the seeds? So I've I've had to edit this summary for length, uh, which you know, take a drink, everybody. This is a new thing, by the way. We have a drinking game now. You, you've done this. Wait, the cow is not dead. You can't claim a life yet. Look at her. The cow doesn't need to die. I can help. The calf is gonna be turned around. Oh no. You've worked your last trick here. When she dies, you die. When Galen hurts his leg and can't travel, Verdun and Burke seek refuge in a farm till their friend recovers. That was courtesy of Dinky Four of Minneapolis. <laughs> what is his name? Dinky Four of Minneapolis. Question. Is it? I know Dinky is spelled, and I love it. Is 4 F-O-R-E or F-O-U-R? Or no, is it the number four? It's the number, and it's me. It is, it is that a, one actually is me. That is you. That is that is actually <laughs> cafe. Uh, Dinky uh, one through three as your uh, forebearers. Dinky <laughs> yeah. four of Minneapolis. Of Minneapolis. Yeah, that's great. That's a great. That's a, I love that show. Remember that show? Dinky four of Minneapolis. <laughs> That'd be a good nineteen seventies yeah, uh, sci-fi yeah. show. This one again. We start off as we mentioned in the first episode. They're once again 
two steps ahead of Urko's gorillas chasing him down. And uh, this time the big problem seems to be that uh, Galen's a little slow. But the scene of him falling, which is going to happen. So what they, they basically are like, oh, we're really being held up by Galen, which is weird, a weird little plot thing. And then for some reason he like gets an energy drink or something. He's like, guys, watch this. And he like goes ahead and jumps right. And it's the funniest falling down the side of a hill ever. I loved, I watched it several times. It is, it is quite the stunt. He like, it's like a pratfall. He yeah. like clearly pretends to slip and then rolls down a hill. Well, I thought it looked like a re- like it looked like he was pretending to slip and then really fell and then because he hit something on his way down too, which you can't really fake. I mean, well, I think you're right. I think it was like a poorly planned stunt. <laughs> and he's wearing that mask, which yeah. you probably can't see or breathe that well. Through. I think it's done. And... I don't know if you noticed it in the last episode too. There's a period of time where Roddy has to jump out of a window in the full the full ape suit, and when he jumps and lands on the ground, you. can clearly see the ape's feet don't the grip doesn't stick and he like nearly wipes out like he slips so oh, hard wow. and like barely writes himself i was like oh man i'm sure he did not want to do that stunt again so they just had to keep this one but yeah it, it does seem like that suit's probably not uh, the best for doing stunts in but we do in this episode at the very beginning also learn they have a compass where do they get that compass from the spaceship he from... built it oh he built the compass did death? he yeah because this is what happened this is what they've been talking about is um he hurts himself when he falls down and they're trying to stay ahead of the people who are after them. And they're kind of, they're not mad at Galen when he hurts himself, but they're, they're pretty upset that he's slow. They, they say he's no Iron Man <laughs> who is also apparently some sort of Michigan uh, football player. I couldn't figure out who they were. Oh, really? Oh, that was, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. They call him, they're like, he's no Iron Man, you know, Michigan's famous running back. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to Google all those keywords. I could not find an answer to that question. Anyway, um, the the one advantage they have, even after Galen's hurt, for them to get away from Urko's men, is it's overcast at night. The clouds are out, and the apes can't navigate without the stars. So the ape guards just keep riding their horses in circles because mm-hmm. they, without stars, all they can do is ride in a circle. Yeah. But Verdun has created, has built himself a compass, to, to which um, Galen's just like, "Is this witchcraft?" And he's like, eh, "More like handicraft." Oh, that so was the joke. That was the joke they got. Um, I did find out that um, there is a West Michigan Iron Men and their professional indoor football team. Could that be it? And maybe that's what the reference is. That's weird if that's the reference. I thought it would have been like some seventies version, of like an Iron Man competition, like a strongman thing, and maybe there's like a lot of those. I don't know, but they they referenced them. They said specifically a Michigan running back, and I'm like, what? I don't know. I don't know sports. I don't know seventies yeah. sports. <laughs> I mean, someone listening to this podcast probably knows exactly what this is. And they're, and they're just, just, just furious, furious so right, now. right now. Don't worry. They'll tweet us it's if they the are. the current Iron Man. Nobody listening to this show <laughs> watched sports. <laughs> in the 1970s, maybe they did. Maybe. Maybe there's some crossover. They, there's someone, there's someone, this is terrible. There's someone right now like in, like in, in an old folks home and they really love sports, but someone has somehow left this podcast on and they can't get up and turn it off. And they're just like, no. No, I have the answer. But they also hate listening to this podcast. Someone's doing it as torture. It's Roddy McDowell right now. Sitting. It's Roddy. Mc- oh, poor Roddy. He's dead, isn't he? I think he is dead. Just the image of him still in the ape suit. Right. Oh, he's, still, he's still in the ape suit. Too. No, he'd be in the ape suit, but not the head. But the rest of the suit's still there. Yeah. Or just the head. <laughs> oh, poor guy. It was after they reshot those movies. They just left him that way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, anyway. Essentially, what happens is they need to. Galen's hurt. They need somewhere to hide. They spot a nearby farm, and, and they basically pull up on there and ask for shelter. So, um, let's quickly talk about this farm, Polar's farm. First time we've seen some female apes. Yeah, first. Yeah, 
And, that was true. and they are very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> the hottest of female apes. But it, that it, farmer's it, daughter ape? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And the IMDb trivia page for this just said there are no female apes in the series. And then I got to this episode. I was like, that's, that's someone put incorrect it for me. Someone watched maybe, three episodes. Maybe he and, was just angry. He's like, those are not females to me. <laughs> yeah. I refuse to believe it. <laughs> I, Dinky3, will never <laughs> believe this. Um, here's what I found interesting. A, is uh, Polar is some sort of peasant and a tenant farmer, some sort of weird underclass in this world. He's not allowed to have horses. He can't afford a human slave. Like only rich farmers with friends and governments kind of have the ability to like run a profitable farm. Yeah, they spent a lot of time in this kind of um, oddly world building, um, not only the economic structure of these farmers, but their somewhat religious beliefs. Yeah, there's there's definitely a bit of religion. Like they're they're very superstitious a lot. Mm-hmm. For like for that instance, the oldest son, who's kind of the the key antagonist of the um, plot, plot, his youngest, his oldest son, Alto, he's waiting to have. They have a cow that's pregnant, and that cow needs to have a calf bull, in order for him to leave the farm and get his own tenant farming plot. So basically, to go be as peasant farmer on a different plot, he needs to have his own baby bull. And they've been trying for years, and he hasn't been able to have it. So he has all his hopes riding on this new pregnancy, and it's kind of made him like very bitter and ornery. Well, and it's also what's really interesting about that was because I made note of the fact that in this episode, and I don't know if it's a new writer for this episode, but in the first ten minutes, there's three references to like spirituality or some sort of like cultural mm-hmm. uh, belief because you know they mention witch- witchcraft for the compass. And then in that mention about the the calf bull, they they talk about curses and bad omens. And I was like, whoa! They, like they haven't used any of this language. No, no, in you're the first right. This is the first time. And then all of a sudden, in the first in this episode, like within the first ten minutes, like boom, boom, boom. So I don't know if that was a writer's choice. They were just like really into that, or they were gonna they're gonna start building on. It's yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, this would definitely be the first time we've seen apes of this class in an ape society. Like up till now, we've either seen the ruling class the prefects who run the like human cities or that's pretty much it. Like we've seen humans, I guess in the other episodes they were kind of suburban <laughs> area, but they weren't, but we didn't see a lot of apes there. We mostly that's saw true. humans. That's true. Like the closest we've seen to the underclass would be these guerrilla soldiers, but and they're mostly just there. They're just soldiers. They're just following orders. Right. I had read somewhere like this is loosely based on the films too, but there's like three main zones that there's like they've mapped out. It's the ape zone, the rural zone, and the forbidden zone. That's right, yeah. And ape zone is like central ape city, I guess, where like right. uh, doctors is. And then this would count as rural zone. Well, they I do guess? T- they do talk about how this area is a rurally zoned area. That's why no one no one would be riding a horse around here because farmer peasants can't own a horse and humans can't ride a horse. Right. So the only people who are on horses are guerrilla patrols. But this is now the beginning of. As, as we mentioned just before this, the disc is now not going to be the plot anymore. And the plot now is going to be them trying to find civilized humans that they think might have technology that can get them home. And that's what now is going to be what the series is from this point on. Okay. So that's why they've now mentioned there's another zone that no one really goes to. Because that's good. Yeah. So it's like maybe over there there'll be humans yeah. because no one knows what's there. And that's, and that's I think, going to be now. Oh, interesting. The so they're, they're setting up kind of some geography yeah. in this episode. Because they lost the prop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And oh, by the way, I, I'm really excited um, to have a, a very uh, conversation about uh, the humans eating cows. Let me Yo, just throw that in. Well, oh, let's God, talk yeah. about this because this is this is what the son ape, the oldest son ape who wants his baby cow is so bitter and angry at the humans being there because the curse he's worried about is they think humans curse cows. Like he's just like, you can't have a human around a cow. The cow will get cursed. It's going to kill the cow. It's going to kill the baby. It's going to fuck me. I need this baby bull. <laughs> 
Um, and they keep going on and on. And they're just like, well, you know, it's true because these filthy humans eat cows. And they, and they didn't just say eat. They said barbecue. Oh, they say barbecue. But also later on in the episode, they make it sound like humans just eat, devour them whole, like well, raw. They now, just this is my question because they do say barbecue. So my question is this. The, the humans don't own any cattle. They're just like slaves. And right. So did a human steal a cow, butcher it, and then barbecue it? Is, I, is that what's happened? And they saw this one time? Or is this something that's always happening? The humans are always stealing cows and barbecuing? Or at one point, a human owned a cow and decided, well, that's good eating. I resolve to believe that based on the system of like the, the wild, the wild humans, there might be more like like cavemen style, would just be, they, they'd witness them capturing cattle and like um, cooking them over a fire. Real barbarians. Like, yeah, like a barbaric right. sort of, So it's like they're not making burger patties and having a, like a grill and barbecue. That's they're not I having thought. their friends thought, over but, for beers. Yeah, I thought they watched like, people and they were just like watching the game and having a couple burgers. Yeah, just watching like Green Bay Packers or something. <laughs> Sports no, they were watching, number two. They were watching those Iron Men. Those <laughs> yeah, Michigan exactly. Iron Men. Yeah. But so I just imagine that they're, they've witnessed them hunt and like feed it over, like over a ro- roaring fire, like a campfire. And one other note, um, they're shirtless again in this episode, oh, you guys. big time. Nice. This, this is a real beefcake episode because essentially what happens is they get there, they ask for shelter. Polar's wife happens to have studied to be a nurse. Um, she wanted to live in the city, but now she lives out in the country. She's going to take care of Galen, get him back on his feet. Their daughter, the farmer's daughter, is really going to flirt it up with Galen <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And they, they actually... They, they, they underplayed like, that. Yeah, they didn't commit to it. There's like two scenes where she's like, hey, and then later she's like, sad to see you go. And I was like, well, they didn't really develop that at all. <laughs> yeah. They they lit really like Galen. They left him on the on the sidelines. So I was yeah. like, there's a really funny subplot here about a farmer's daughter, but it's just apes this time. Like, you didn't have to go that far. You just reskin it with Galen as the ape, and you probably could get a lot of laughs out of that. Yeah. And I think you may be right, Kevin, uh, that maybe... Um, <laughs> Maybe Roddy actually got injured that fall, and they're like, "A quick rewrite." Uh, he's he's actually yeah. injured, so he's out of the show. Yeah, he's barely in this episode. Uh, um, but yeah, now that he they're taking care of him, the agreement is basically the two humans are going to spend the days while he recovers, essentially uh, being slaves to the owner, and also revolutionizing the farming industry. Yeah, we get a long time now of basically what do they do? They they show them how to uh, don't plow up hills. Yeah, which is come on. <laughs> apes you can probably get there yeah. on your own make fences that actually make sense the the how what are, what are the apes fences look like i mean look like a couple of like pieces of log glue like stapled together like they they seem to have just jammed sticks into the ground like up and down like yeah. it would stop nothing and, and one across maybe no well they didn't even do that no, there was they none across because oh, like, yeah. burke That's, burke like starts setting up an actual like right. farmer's fence and they're like whoa whoa what is this well, I, can I also add? I, I thought I wrote myself a note saying that, like, in, in the whole battle apes between man, this is totally them mansplaining the human. That's version. it. There's there's the fence. They build a pulley system so they can get like hay up into the hayloft without just shoveling it up there. A windmill? Uh, but a but, windmill? They build a windmill? I look like a really nice windmill. And, and, too. So that's, and we talked about this earlier, but there's a real uh, push right now of like how much better the humans are, which I thought is not as strong an attitude in this show but are we going to talk about uh the one the one line in this where the, the guy does his little impersonation oh that was rough when he's building the fence yeah I, oh my god because the premise is they're per, they're gonna be their slaves for a week while he gets better like they're just gonna work really hard on the thing completely shirtless like as we've mentioned before very mm-hmm. sweaty and glistening but yeah the kids watching him build a fence and he's just like the kid's like yeah this fence is good i decided it's a good fence can you build more of it and um Burke turns around and he says to himself, did you miss this? I don't remember, yeah. 
I'm not going to say what it is. He does, he does a... I'll... He, well, he does an impersonation. How, how, how do you how do you ever take it? Oh, oh yeah, I remember that was really cringeworthy. It yeah, was really cringe. He basically puts on an accent and like pretends he's a slave from the yeah. south. It's played to be light. Like, isn't it crazy? Like that you would have a slave, but having an all American beefcake, yeah, guy. It has not aged well. No. Yeah, it, it just seemed like unnecessary too. Like there was no need to have that line. I remember I, I was like, I had it on in the back. I was like cooking dinner, and at one point I audibly was like, oh, so, oh, oh, they just why? That was weird. He's like, like because the kid's like, where'd you learn to make a fence like this? He's like, Abraham Lincoln taught me, and he's like, who's Abraham Lincoln? He's like, I wish I knew. And then, yeah, there was a lot of kind of weak jokes. That, I mean, this episode, I think that loses a point right there. <laughs> just, just for uh, just for that. Yeah, that was a swing and a miss on someone did not predict the future well enough to know Any, Anyway, you get a real they're know-it-alls and yeah. that goes on for a while. They like build time. They build a shower so they can shower. They there's a whole Their s- first shower too of the series, I That's think. That's true. They're finally yeah, I clean. made note of that. It was like they must smell at this point. Well, they do say that. They, yeah, one, all the apes are like, "You guys stink. You guys have to have a bath before you come in the house." So they build a shower yeah. themselves. They also there's even a scene where like the little kid is like, they, they, I guess they grow corn at this farm and they don't even kind of understand the concepts of genetics and planting because mm. uh, Verdun in a, in, a, in a kind of sweet scene where he's kind of remembering his own son he's left back in the past and he's kind of nostalgic sort of explains to him, don't plant the weak, the, the small little stubby corn things. Don't pull plant those seeds. Plant the best corn seeds because then your crops will be better. And they kind of explain genetics to them of, of yeah. crop planting. I wrote a note earlier on. I'm like, how come these astronauts know everything about farming? But then they were like, oh, uh, one of them grew up on a farm. Done, right? Everyone happy now? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We've seen this before. Like, Galactic 1980, there seems to be like a period of time where TV shows, like, you just had an episode where you everyone goes to a farm. Like, I just think there's a time where, like, a guy Verdun's age, the older of the two men. How old do you think he is, by the way? You know, it's it's a funny thing because it's a time period where it's hard to tell yeah. the, how old the leading men are. And this is this goes for a lot of movies, yeah. too. Like, he could... My guess is he looks like he's about 40, but if there's a perfect chance he's also, like, 22 <laughs> yeah, years old, yeah. you know? Well, I can tell you, uh, Burke, the younger one, is 25. Verdun, the older yeah. one, 37. He is literally our age. age. Yeah, he, and now this, we do not look like that. No. I look, I look like um, uh, that episode with the, the kid who didn't want to be a gladiator. I looked, I looked younger than that guy. Right. Well, and also in that episode, just a side note was th- th- they were father and son and they didn't look more than a couple years apart yeah, in yeah. age. I, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, I think my point though is I think because there's a lot of farm episodes in this period of time, I think the idea that a 37 year old man probably grew up in a rural outskirts because right. his parents were farming. So people hadn't like fully migrated internally. I think maybe there's some logic to the idea like that we're just like, how would you know anything about farming? But I think in like 1974, the idea that he grew up on a farm was probably like, a one in ten chance or a one right. in five chance. Like, yeah, I grew up on a farm. Anyway, there's a lot of world building along time wasting in this, but I kind of found it boring. Do we not? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, because we could just keep going on, but like, there's just a scene where like, now we build a fence. There was, now we build nothing. You're like, okay, God, we get it. Like, there's there's very little plot in this episode. <laughs> it was one too many scenes of that yes. mansplaining. Yes. It was like, we got the first one and the second one was nice, I guess. Then there's a third one and a fourth one and then I've, maybe a fifth one. I've got... Six. I've got that's six. Like, it's like too scenes. many. That's way too many. <laughs> but I mean, the core conflict of this is Alto wanting to turn these fugitives in because he's so bitter. He's worried about his baby cow being born. And like he finds some guerrilla soldiers and he kind of like pulls them aside. He's like, hey, you guys uh, ever give any war- uh, rewards, like cash rewards for turning yeah, in slaves? He's, he's the worst sneaky person ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what's crazy is the guerrillas are just like, what? Pay you to do your duty? 
not a chance. And he, he's just like, fine. And, and he walks that, away. And that first soldier is not interested to hear him out either. <laughs> like, there's an opportunity. Like, they might, you know, it's like, well, I hear what he has to say anyway. That'd be me in the office. Someone comes over like, hey, you got a uh, way to make things easier. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, it does kind of one of the gorillas story. He's like, "What did that guy want?" He's like, "He was saying something about whether we have rewards for solving all our slaves. problems." And he's like, "Uh, oh, well, maybe we should maybe check out his farm later, but uh, we'll get to it later." Like, it's really kind of pushed to the side. Um, but kind of finally, the episode kind of kicks into some sort of, I guess, plot or not plot, but like drama. When this cow they've been waiting to give birth the whole episode falls over, and you come to learn that. Uh, it's, it's having a premature birth and maybe is dying before the cow can be born. So Alto is just like beside himself. Yeah, he's all like, I got to ring that bell. Yeah, we come into the to the to the barn and there's this big blue cowbell, like really big, yeah. and he's on his knees just banging on it, just banging his bell. Was he not annoying you? I was watching. I was like, the, "You're annoying me. Stop dang. That'd be the, I, if I was there. But we get it. Stop ringing the bell. I think it's a religious thing. I know, but it's still annoying. Well, yeah, that was the thing. It was start, it started to get really annoying by the time that he was helping, but also. I didn't really get so you ring the bell when the cow is sick, and then you also ring it while you're helping give. It wasn't clear. It was just constantly ringing. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was a birth bell or he was just like begging the. Maybe you beg the gods when you do this, but the cow seems to be dying. Alto is like furious. He like threatens to kill the humans. He like blames them entirely. But of course, because Burdun, I guess, grew up on a farm, he's seen enough cow births to know that they're going to need to turn the cow in mm-hmm. the womb so it can be born. How much did you think we were going to see him put his hand in a cow? Yeah, I thought I thought we were going to. I couldn't stop thinking about what are the chances that this is a shot in the seventies and they actually took proper care of that animal too. And like, what did they do to the cow? To make I thought about it. Cause I'm like, that, ca- that, kid, that cow looks kind of sick. <laughs> yeah. Like they must, did they sedate it or something even more? It, horrifying? it was funny. You'd see shots of it laying on the ground and they'd cut to a close up of its head and the cow would be laying there and it would just be like eating the grass in front of its face. It'd be like, I was like, this is fine. I'm just going to eat this grass while I lay here. But basically Verdun is able to turn the baby in the stomach of the cow. However, however birthing a cow works. I don't know. And it's great because in the scene where they finally like where Alto gives in and lets him try to help, all the apes just stand there staring down at him, dumbstruck. Like every ape is there, mouths agape at to whatever Verdun's doing off camera. I mean, yeah. What what else could they do? Someone's already ringing the bell. I think they were. Just, <laughs> I think they were just worried that he was going to start eating him. Classic humans. Well, I mean, I just assumed we, what they were seeing was the part where he put his hand right. in. And they're like, oh. <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> this is horrible. He's just staring at them the whole time while he's doing <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, um, but essentially, Verdun's able to help the cow give birth, and the cow gives birth to two bulls, what twin a bulls. And uh, Alto is very forgiving from this point forward. What I love though is at that point, um, you know, they put a little bit of like I don't know what it is, Jello or something on the cow to make it look like it was just born. But um, the guy, what's what's the kid's name? The, the, Alto? He, Alto, the angry one. He goes and hugs the cow, and if you rewatch it, the look on the cow's face is of pure terror. Because if you think about, it, it's just being hugged by a gorilla or whatever it is, and <laughs> yeah. the cow just like, Whoa, what is <laughs> yeah. happening? It is it, that. Yeah, I did notice. He just like runs in and grabs the cow, and the cow's like, Whoa! whoa, whoa. <laughs> this was like, not the deal, guys. <laughs> I lay down and eat this grass. <laughs> um, and we finally kind of get a little tension for the for our astronauts as well because. Uh, those ape cops that he reported reported his sighting to earlier or whether they'd give a reward. One of them snuck by the farm a little early in the day and he happened to see a human using a shower. Yeah. <laughs> so they arrive with Urko this time and they're like, hey, do you guys have humans on this farm? This guy saw a human 
some sort of crazy water contraption and uh alto it's all it's up to alto now to save the day it's my make favorite up for scene. himself make up for what he did earlier yeah okay, and, do you want to walk us through what he does well, someone says that they, they, they accuse uh, them of seeing a human or uh, having put a human on their farmland. And he says, oh, that was just me. And he essentially goes, starts acting like, hey, I can put on a little show as a human. He, he splashes his face with some sort of white. It's, it was like flower. Flower, 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 I think. Yeah, he like gives himself white face. Yeah, and he puts on a show and everyone starts laughing. And he makes the, uh, 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 what's his name? Arco, what's his name? Urko. Urko's men. Uh, they start laughing, and then at one point he starts chasing chickens. He's like, yeah, it's me. I got a little, like, look at me. I can imitate a human. And he picks up one of the chickens, and he reveals most of his human forearms in that yeah. shot, <laughs> which I liked. A nice touch. Yeah. I, I was impressed because I watched him run after those chickens, and he, he got one right he away. He grabs one of them <laughs> yeah, right mid-run yeah. in that suit. I'm like, holy shit, how did you not kill that chicken? Yeah, yeah. So he basically convinces them that it was He's him. holding it up, and it's flapping around. He's like, I'm going to eat this chicken. I'm it a was, human. It was great. I loved the idea of an ape doing an impersonation of a human. Yeah. I thought it was great. It was very funny. It's like a whole clown act. And then yeah. at the end of it, he's just like, and then I just go wash off my makeup in this thing I built to wash off my makeup. And he uses the shower and like yeah. gets drenched and his makeup and comes I, off. I couldn't help but think of how much that must actually be yeah. burning the makeup. And then you cut the shot later and it's like, well, that's obviously like four hours later, yeah, yeah. read on the makeup and put a little bit of water in his hair. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't like, it is hilarious because Urko, Urko doesn't like this at all, but his men are laughing. Love it's it. the best thing they've They're ever seen. They're laughing their asses yeah. off. This man is a genius. I think also, <laughs> we're going to come back to him later. He's going to have his own show in, in Central City. It's going to be a hilarious... Buster Keaton. He's going to be in uh, Human Face the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was such a weird scene, but so much fun. I was mm-hmm. just like, it's been a boring episode, but man, oh man, what a finish. Yeah, it was a good finish. Yeah. Um, and it kind of ends here. Galen gets better. Him and the and the boys take off into the into the sunset as they do at the end of every episode. Alto announces he's naming his bull calves Verdun and Burke in their yeah, honor. Names it after them. And is it an honor to have someone name a cow after you? I mean, it's not not an honor. Oh, that's true. It's better than being killed by a bunch of crazy apes. I think I'd rather have one of them do an impersonation of me with flour on their face forever. Yeah. Well, just I just want to see it. The, it's it's a form of, it's a form of compliment parody yeah. is a form of compliment yeah, exactly um, and it sort of ends with Polar hanging out with his youngest son who's been kicking around who's kind of been the one who's been watching the humans do all their work and they're standing at their giant windmill which is pumping their new their new aggregation system into their fields and uh, some gorilla rides up he's like hey where'd you get this from and uh, Polar's like ah my son built it and he's like alright <laughs> yeah yeah. So it's like Ape society has been advanced hundreds and hundreds of years, and uh, no one has any questions. Like the apes, just like it looks weird. Bye. Yeah, I think he's just—they're just, just going to dominate and just start taking over all the farms because they're so advanced. I thought we were going to see a little bit of that. Like Polar's farm is now like making so much money. Like it, like is just so the scales have been offset so much in this one farm. But they even end. They're like, well, we won't know till next year because all the improvements won't really come in till next year. So I guess we'll see what happens. I'm just like, how are you going to leave me not knowing what happens to this family? They're definitely going to get crucified right? as yeah. witches. Yeah. Um, but th- that kind of wraps up that episode too. So, I mean, let's get into some final thoughts, like anything we didn't talk about or any like stuff you want to say about these episodes. But um, I-, I can, I can start us off with a fun little trivia fact here. Jordan. Oh, great. Do you know who directed the good seeds? Um, I'm going to guess Martin Scorsese. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? It's a director we know. He directed a episode of Beyond Westworld, The mm-hmm. Lion. Which one was The Lion? That was the race car episode. Oh, really? Same director, huh? Yeah. So he was just killing it this time. Just just living it. I mean, this is 74. Right. The other one's like 80. So he's a long time working this guy. What was his name? Don Wise. Oh, oh right. Classic okay. Don Wise. 
Yeah, I, I could see you could see his uh, his style of um, the way he shot monkeys. Yeah, and race cars. And race cars. There's a lot of both of these yeah. in both episodes. What about you guys? Any any final thoughts on this stuff? I have a feeling we, we started we started pretty high with this. I think we had some pretty good scores, and I I still like this show, but I have a feeling that this last episode is going to be more like they're going to be from this point on. I have a feeling that, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the scores. I think there was a quality drop from episode three to four, and I have a feeling that's where the quality is going to stay from this part. I don't think we're going to get any more pretty fun episodes. I think this... You think it's going to become a little more like... I think it's just going to get stale. I think it's every episode is Urko chases them, and they bump into humans, and then they prove that they're better than apes, and then they move on. I think that's what's going to be. The thing I'm most excited about, I'm going to continue watching this, is is like... Because there's a few things I keep noticing throughout these episodes that I wonder if they're like light winks or homages to the films. And one of them I thought about mentioning earlier was like the earthquakes um, is a mm-hmm. reference to the second film where, where like it's called Beneath the Planet of the Apes. And there's a there's a civilization of a super powered mutant humans living underneath the earth. And they're the ones that have the nuclear bomb and they praise it like a god. And because they're testing the nuclear bomb, the earthquakes are constantly happening. Oh. So when I saw the earthquakes in the third episode, uh, I was like, I wonder if the show is going to lead up to the, the forbidden zone. And then like there's a mutant, there's a race of mutant humans. So what I'm excited about future episodes is there could be a potential of them exploring that world. And why not? Like if you're the showrunner of the show, why wouldn't you use well, that? Well, I think there's clearly a world that they've set up that there's a lot of space to go explore. I just, I think I'm more pessimistic. I don't think there's gonna be much exploring. I think it's just gonna be more little rural farms one after another. I mean, we'll see. I guess we'll see. I mean, you're right. There has been a pattern like, First episode we watched, I think, was really good. Same with the first episode of the series and the first episode of this episode. And then the second episode was like kind of took a, took a bit of a downturn where they kind of picked like, eh, it's a little bit of a generic idea and went with that. But I I still think even in this episode, which wasn't the best, still some pretty good writing in it overall. Yeah, it had some moments. Yeah. And they had that hilarious fall with Galen falling off the cliff. That was that was great. And the <laughs> guy doing a human face. Yeah, human face. It started and ended real yeah. strong. All right. Well, Coffee. Typically, when we rate a show on this, we kind of work off the IMDb 10-star system. So, 1 to 10 kind of idea. I guess we'll start with you and uh, The Trap. What, what, what would you give The Trap? i give it an 8. Uh, can I do a 0. 0.5? Of course. 8.5 out of 10. I would love if you did a 0. 0.5. Wonderful. Jordan, what are you? how are you feeling about it? I think I'm in agreement. I'm going to go a little bit lower at a 7.5. But it is my favorite episode so far. But I, I still think there's a little room for improvement, so I'd like to see them get a little better. But that was my favorite episode. Yeah, I'm I'm also going 7.5. I, I thought they got too quickly to the idea of, like, you have to work with your enemy. But, like, the episode <laughs> yeah. as a whole was really, really good. And I think they can do better. So mm-hmm. I think 7.5 is the right place for it. But I guess we'll uh, we have some pessimism. A real Pete Burke over here. <laughs> That's what I am. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, Kaveh, you want to give us good seeds? What do you think for good seeds? Uh, it's definitely a step under. I'd say like a six out of ten. That's being that's being really kind. Five point six. I'll give it six. I th- I mean the human face in the end would give it another point. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm giving it a five and a half. Same. I mean, th- I think we probably all feel the same. And I'm being I I. I think it's got a little goodwill, so I'm giving it a higher score than I like because I I did not like this episode. I think I liked it better than the cage fighting one from the episode before, which I, I think oh no way gave a four point five, but not a lot not a lot better. He Bane broke his back. That was great. <laughs> cage yeah, that the cage fighting episode was great, but it, <laughs> better what, than this one. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little mixed on it. I think I'm gonna go with a five. I still don't think it's very good, but I I, I feel like it was a little better than that. But I'm mm. I'm in the minority apparently. 
Can huh? I add one fun fact too? Is absolutely when they, when they edited these uh, episodes into movies, it was one and three. The first movie was episode one and three, so they skipped two entirely. So it's the pilot episode and then the trap oh, so is one pick, film. So they picked the two strong ones. They picked the two strong ones for the first movie. And then uh, the few next ones are like the next Forgotten City of the Planet Apes is two and five. Treachery and Greed is nine and 11. I mean, so you'll get there. Wow, they're really oh, all over the place. And so they, but they jump episode four, I noticed. Where, where's, the episode, no one wants this the, one. The four episodes, where's they, episode four? <laughs> they never include these four episodes. They don't include four, eight, 12, and 13 in any of the films. Oh, interesting. Try so, to remember those. those are going to be the weak ones. Those are probably the weak ones. And um, yeah, because you can tell right off the back, if the first film is one and three, those are like the two strongest of the first. Yeah, four so what we, what we've seen, they're definitely the strongest episodes. Yeah, it works as a movie. The fact that um, they get trapped together and have to work together, like as it, a feature. You're right. It definitely they fit a little better thematically too. I think. Yeah, but I mean, they still would be a little weird. Old Galen. No, all you did, you just add him in. Oh, didn't see you come in. Oh. I was just here reminiscing by myself. He's like sleeping and once oh. <laughs> are, are you more comfortable if I put a human face on and they throw a flower <laughs> in his face? <laughs> I hope that be is that being a trend in the show. Oh, yeah, so good. that'd be great. I want to see just in the background, like they walk by a city and there's someone like doing it on a stage. In the Japanese remake of Planet of the Apes, there's a Japanese TV series of Planet of the Apes. Uh, there's there's one ape that uh, is disguised into the human camp, and he's wearing he's full on wearing a plastic human mask, and like really? an actor plays him. And then in the reveal, when they re- realize it's a monkey, it's an ape, they like it's like a pa- plastic face mask comes off. And- Sorry, this is a Japanese remake of the TV show. Saru, or the movie? Saru no Gundan. It's um, it's a, it's they, perfect pronunciation. Saru, sorry, might be awful, but yeah, it's it was they made a TV series out of the feature film and the, the well the novel actually. Oh, really, so they, they got the rights to it, and it has nothing to do with this TV series. And it's like about a family that instead of, uh, it's not they're not astronauts, they get cryogenically frozen, fry from Futurama style. Yeah, classic. And they wake up into the planet. We've seen apes. that before. Um, it's it's how many episodes? Uh, twenty four. I've let's, always let's wanted put it to watch on the list. it. It's, um, I've watched a Japanese Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I think so. Not there, after this, but soon. There are ape ninjas in it, and there's a wisecracking robot. Um, this could be the best show we've ever watched. Yeah. <laughs> Why aren't we watching it? There's an ape spy masquerading as a human with a mask. Do they go to a farm? <laughs> I don't think there's any farm. Here's, Luke, we need to see farming, and we need to see some sort of bureaucratic scene where they're stamping oh, documents. Oh, man, yeah. Do they go to like someone's office? <laughs> yeah. Ape at a desk? Pretty good. Anyways, yeah, that sounds fun. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for the show. Uh, Kaveh, thank you so much for coming thank in. Thank you for having us. me. It's really good to have someone who kind of knows this world. Love it. Um, typically, everyone comes in pretty blind, so it's kind of interesting to hear, like, you know the series, you know the continuity. Honestly, I assume this just took place after the last movie to find out that the last movie was the end of the world. and this So this means this one probably takes place between ep- uh, movie three and four. I think this is the Kelvin universe, isn't it? It's just like a separate universe. <laughs> yeah, this is the movie. This is the continu- continuation if if in the first movie, Charlton Heston is killed and he never... The, you know what I mean? Like if you take the first movie mm-hmm. and assume that in the end they just all died, then this would make sense as a sequel. Oh, right. So it's the Kelvin universe. Yeah. yeah. Just post post first movie. Yes. I'll write it into my fan fiction. I'll make it all make sense. It'll be fine. Um, it's going to be a lot of the apes kissing. <laughs> I mean, obviously. Yeah. Those lady apes. Woo-wee. <laughs> In the meantime, if uh, you know who the Iron Man is or you want to talk to us about the Planet of the Apes. Oh, man. Can you imagine someone actually emails us about that? I would be so happy. Delete. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can reach us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. Of course, uh, we'll have some clips from the show. Definitely Galen falling down. Yeah, I've already put that as well. Um, Probably uh, 
you know, someone looking at posters in a in a subway, uh, a lot of human face. It'll all be there. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Drag. And uh, that's about that. That's it. That's it for the episode. Uh, thanks for joining us, listener. And uh, Jordan, I'll see you next week. Yeah, see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Siedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes, Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard.